0: Hello, welcome to Citywire Funds Fanatic, our weekly podcast looking at uh, everything that's going on in the world of open ended funds and investment trusts. I'm Gavin Lumston, And with me again, the joining is Daniel Gross, editor of Citywire Funds Insider. Dan, I was off last week. And so I haven't seen you for a while. I so haven't seen you for a very long time. haven't spoken to you for a while either. How are you? Yeah,
1: yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, how are you? How's, uh, how's your time off?
0: well it was it was nice and relaxing but it was slightly marred by events around one of the stories we're going to talk about because uh, plenty to talk about involving two uh, so-called star fund managers uh, alex darwell and terry smith so uh, if you're interested in either of those investors do hang around but we'll start with uh, alex darwell won't we Dan because what interrupted my uh, brief holiday a few days off at home was the news around wirecard the german Payments processor around whom there's been a cloud for some time suspicious uh, suspicions around their accounts and everything. Uh, the auditor, EY, refused to pass the annual report. And in the subsequent days and uh, this week, uh, the companies ended up uh, filing for bankruptcy. And uh, that's a huge import to uh, investors in Alex Darwell's European Opportunities Investment Trust, because it held a very big stake uh, in the company
1: yeah i mean it was, it was and, we were,
0: big... and we were both investors for our pension <laughs> and, uh, and so we're taking a, a close interest in the situation uh, on behalf of ourselves as well as our, uh, our, our our audience our investors
1: well i mean it was his, his biggest stock for a long time wasn't it and uh, a stock that you know it's not it's not that concerns about why i just erupted you know in the last couple of weeks um there's been as you said there's been a cloud over Wirecard for a long time due to some great reporting from the, from, from the Financial Times. And you know, Darwall had sort of stuck by the stock. And you know, he doesn't talk a lot, he doesn't issue a lot um in terms of um you know commentary to his investors. But where he had been doing, it was, you know, it was talking about Wirecard and it was, you know, defending his position. He said earlier in the year that he'd sorry that he was sorry that his stake had become uh, as big as it had and it had come down. A bit, you know, it was sort of around 17% at its peak. But um, going into the news that we had last week, it was still, you know, his, his biggest stock and uh, over 10% of his portfolio, um, you know, because he does, you know, he has pretty concentrated positions, he doesn't hold that many stocks. And in the context of Wirecard, that was his, that was his most concentrated, that was his biggest. And so it is a huge blow. To, well, to the net asset value of the trust, uh, but also to to his reputation?
0: It's a huge blow to his reputation. But just sticking on to the, the performance, yeah, the shares are down uh, 19% over one year, um, having fallen about uh, 10% in the past week, which is not surprising. And you have to go back as far as 10 years to see that his trust is top of its sector with a Total share return of two hundred seventy six percent, which is a really good return, and you know underlines the fact that uh, you know he he's he referred to as a, a star fund manager. He, he's done very well through that uh, very focused stock picking approach that that he's had. But the past five years, he's sort of mid table really, because performance has been in line with his peers, dragged down largely by the controversy over over Wirecard and although you can give him some credit for getting out of the stock so quickly. So as soon as the news about EY and the, and then the report not being passed and the £1.9 billion of missing euros, as soon as that broke, he sells out. I've got some reservations about the way that's been communicated, but I suppose the bigger question right now for us in this conversation is uh, why he held to it for so long. As you say, he really put his credibility on the line with supportive statements all the way down the line and the interim reports at various points when the Financial Times were coming up with some explosive stories you know it's not a subject he's clearly wanted to, to tackle but he's he's put his reputation on the line as saying I know Wirecard better than anybody else the management are really good and you know these are you know effectively these are inconsequential stories about a small part of the business and, of course, it, <laughs> that's the opposite has been the case. It's brought down the company. It's a huge scandal, corporate scandal and regulatory scandal in, in Germany because uh, a Wirecard was uh, listed on the DAX 30. It's one of the top 30 companies in Germany. So its collapse has just shocked many, many people, uh, and lots of people have got questions to consider. But just thinking of Alex Darwell, why I immediately sold the stake and, you know my personal investment was that uh, I, I was just so disappointed. I, I had I realised now, uh, I'm criticising myself for it, but I sort of had some faith in the staff and manager concept, and that a stock picker of his renown uh you know knew something about wirecard that other people didn't and it just seems that actually he didn't know any more than anybody else and he's just taking maybe a big bet now it doesn't you know rule out his um his record as a stock picker in other stick- stocks it doesn't mean that everything he's ever done is poor or bad that's, that's clearly not the case but my my personal faith in him was was shattered um but uh, you, you didn't feel quite so strongly about oh. it or you've just had other things to do. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you know,
1: it's its still in my pension and that's not, you know, because I've, you know, come down on the opposite side of the, uh, of the fence to you. Um, It's more, you know, because I haven't got, to doing something about it and i guess you, you do actually have a practical problem uh, as a journalist with 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 this kind of thing is that, you know the news breaks on uh on thursday uh wirecard of this absolute bombshell about the 1.9 billion euros uh that's Know, that's missing from its accounts you see an immediate reaction in terms of uh, obviously you see an immediate reaction on the worldwide share price but you see get reaction on on the shares of uh, the european opportunities trust and so pick up on that cover that story you know if we're if we're selling stuff then we need to kind of dis this disclose it and you know um sort of disclose when we've written about it and um whether we're going to plan to write about it so you know in the in the kind of immediacy of the event my focus is i've got to write this story and so you know but by the time it you know it gets to the end of the day uh, so, you know i think the shares were off about five percent when I first sort of filed the piece and then by the end of the day european opportunities is down about 12 percent. and you thought, oh, well i should have really sold at that point but i was focused on other things and that's actually i, I think that's probably been the the story for you know because it's not the first obviously this was the big wirecard event but there have been revelations in the past and that have been share price reactions and uh that's caused me to question my holding in that trust before but the pattern of these events has always been there's the share price hit when the news breaks Uh, i'm annoyed do i do anything about it immediately no and then it comes back a bit and then you just uh, you know just forget about it a bit, which is
0: not... I know exactly what you mean. It's a funny thing, isn't it? We're kind of, in our job as investment journalists, you know, we are in a privileged position. We get access, you know, we're we're following the news quite closely, of course. Um, But actually doing that job of keeping up with events means that you're not necessarily trading on your own account, which is probably very good for sort of compliance reasons. It had been troubling me, and I'm absolutely kicking myself. As a journalist, I don't know if you... It sounds like you are as well. You know, the FT and uh, Dan McCrum uh, at uh, the FT in particular has done it a great job on covering wire cards and uncovering what was going on over uh, the past few years and you know what was i doing as a journalist why was i not taking um taking that more uh, placing more emphasis on that why was i seemingly preferring the assurance from a fund manager rather than a uh, respected uh, fellow journalist i don't know i've got something to think about there but as i say i got rid of it uh, immediately, and uh, yeah, in terms of disclosure, I guess that's why I'm talking about it now, just to make the the position plain. But it was my reaction as a I wasn't writing the story, unlike you, and I was just uh, in the position of an ordinary investor. And as such, this comes onto my sort of um, gripe, really, with the way that Darwall's firm, uh, Devon Equity Management, which he set up last year after leaving Jupiter. Uh, gripes with the way they and maybe the, the, the investment trust have handled the communication, because Darwall sells his stake on last Thursday when the news is breaking about Wirecard. But the RNS, the stock exchange announcement, saying that the brief, very brief, uh, one-line uh, explanation saying that the holding has been sold from European Opportunities Trust, doesn't come until the following morning. But it doesn't come out at seven o'clock uh, when uh, these announcements. Uh, typically start uh, being filed. Uh, and it isn't there either at eight o'clock when uh, the market opens for trading. It actually appears at 9.04, four minutes past nine o'clock in the morning. That's uh, 64 minutes after the market's been opened. And it's uh, over two hours since the, the information could have been disclosed. And, you know, there are bigger problems uh, in the world. There are bigger issues uh, in the Wirecard story. But, I, you know, from my point of view, um, I felt I was trading uh, in a false market in that trust, effectively, because uh, I read your story about what happened the previous day. And as I said, I very quickly decided I wanted to get out. And I did notice that the shares were rising. And I kind of wondered why that was. Was that a so-called dead cat bounce? I don't know. I was just keen to sell my stake. And when the RNS does come at 9.04, saying that the the steak has been sold yeah that doesn't change my opinion so it yeah i still would want to get out but i think it's just i just would like to know why it takes them over an hour why that rns that statement so short could not be ready first thing in the morning it's well, like I mean, come on you know you've well, got and, to communicate adds- much better do you, do, am I am I getting am I, am I getting my a twist over nothing? Well, I mean, it, I and
1: it did know? have an impact on the share price, didn't it? Because um, you know that was what kind of alerted me to that um, statement coming out. Suddenly, there was this jump in the shares of the trust. It had fallen heavily uh, the day before, about twelve percent, and it was falling in the morning, and that's you know a function uh, of what was happening with Wirecard. Wirecard shares had kind of continued to fall, and I think the shares had already fallen by you know beyond the actual stake in Wirecard, so it wasn't just that it was you know it was sentiment and it was um the discount widening because lots of investors were doing what you were doing and, and, and were getting out but as soon as there was that statement saying you know as of yesterday we don't have any wire card then an immediate jump you know because that has kind of cleared or well, it hasn't cleared the problem given what had happened but you know it just removes that stake to that business that where there's, you know even with the share price fall on the thursday there's obviously still you know humongous concerns that have now kind of been realized about where the stock was going, and yeah, and you know, so they sold throughout the course of Thursday. You do think, given the length of that statement, that that's something that you know they could have they could have had out right at the beginning of the day, and then you know you wouldn't be in the position because presumably you, you sold you sold just before the the announcement came out.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I I was going to sell anyway, but it just uh, I'm just, you know, as a as a journalist, someone in the media is, uh, you know, we deal with PR folk and we're in the communications business. i am just really really like to know why that important piece of communication couldn't be there at seven or 701 or 702. It's certainly there by eight o'clock when the market opens and people are trading. I think people should know. I mean, I think other I would be surprised if other people felt the same as me and were getting out what come what may, but it'd be good to know <laughs> when you're selling that, hey, oh, Mr. Darwell sold the day before. Mm-hmm. I mean, it might have changed some people's mind. Anyway, but also moving on, then, you know. Darwall has uh, spoken about briefly about uh, Wirecard on various occasions, but when it came to this crunch, this really big crunch, this is the terminal bit of news. Really, um, there was no statement from him personally. I mean, you've got to remember there was a statement from from Devon, but remember, Devon is it's not a one-man band at all. It's a, there's a small team, uh, largely composed of people who who left Jupiter Asset Management with Darwall last year. But the statement came from the, the chief executive of Devon. Equity management, Richard Pavry, who used to be uh, head of the investment trust business at Jupiter, he's the chief exec, and and he puts out a statement, and you know it's it's a fine statement as it goes, but it's not a personal statement from yeah from Darwall himself, and you know the wildcard stake is is Darwall's, um, so it just feels again you know the fund manager is hiding behind someone else when uh, you know he should be standing up. I, I think he should be saying a lot more. But, um, yeah, and he shouldn't be hiding behind his, his chief executive who, you know, he he, he appointed, who he brought along at this, for their small outfit last year. I think people want to hear from Darwell. He's the man behind that stake. And yes, he got out very efficiently, but he should have been out a long time ago. And... Uh, also, we just need to know some sort of reassurance about how it can never happen again. I mean, he was supposedly talking to his board, uh, the, the board of the Investment Trust, about how you know he apologised at the beginning of this year for the size of the stake. Uh, yeah, as he said, it got up to 17%. And he was talking to the board or the board was talking to him about how to ensure that such outsized positions didn't occur again in the future. But it looks like he didn't actually reduce the stake, the the, the, the proportion of of the stake yeah, only no. fell because the wire card shares were fallen so
1: yeah because that's sort of detailed in that statement that richard paveri put out on the on the friday i mean some profit it said was realized on sales in 2017 and, and, and 2018 and that no new shares have, be added, have been added since february 2019 so, you know it does sound like you know, the stake went down from seventeen percent to uh, ten percent, not because he was trimming his position. In fact, you know, the, the most recent transaction he had with the shares, albeit over a year ago, was was buying more of them. You know, it has only come down because the shares have come down. And uh, you know, I think you're right on the. I did sort of raise this with them when the statement came out that you know, it, it's it's a shame there isn't anything from uh, Alexander Dyerwall there. And you know, the explanation was that. You know this is a, a sort of a, a statement from the company rather than you know a press release or but yeah it's that the fund manager you know the fund managers made the mistake and the fund manager needs to be talking about it i think that's what you rightly expect and he you know he's spoken He's spoken to the Times, um, but there hasn't been a kind of public communication in terms of, you know, a, a, an announcement to the stock market or, or, or anything like that.
0: Dan, did the uh, statement from Devon, did it go into some detail about, you know, how much, uh, you know, what level he bought yeah. at and what level he sold out, out at? That would be be interesting to know. So, so the first shares
1: were bought at um, €9 Euros, um, and that there was a blended purchase price. So, um, you know, averaging out all the all the purchases that, that were made um, of, part of €27. 27- uh for the holding at the date when the position was sold so that was um last thursday uh and yeah he would have sold those at well probably around a a low of 40 euros um so the shares entered the friday trading above 100 euros and and finished uh trading just below 40. i mean they're now last time i checked at around two so you know the implication of that being that over the lifetime of his his investment uh which you know we started 2007 you know he's not actually down um if he's got if you've got a blended average price of 27 and he, and he and he and he got out at um even at around 40 then then he's up um yeah but that's you know the nav took a seven and a half percent hit largely down to wirecard card um on on the Thursday so you know that's I doubt many investors are going to be thinking well I'm glad that he's made money over those years you know he's come out on you know he's averaged out on top it doesn't diminish the fact that this is you know um, uh, a big big blow
0: it's a big blow but actually judging from the comments on, on from readers on our site there were there were some people uh, uh, as a as, as as we were but others were more supportive when indicating they would stay on and, and I guess that fact that even though Wirecard is you know was a he should not have been in there it was looks like it's a, a fraudulent conspiracy going on there we'll, we'll 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 wait to find out but um yeah, yeah the company's valueless the only good thing is that yeah that he bought in low and he got out quickly and uh, and there's a positive return. The other thing worth pointing out is that uh you know Darwall is also suffering along with other uh, shareholders in the trust uh, he owns a stake of three point two percent it was disclosed um just early this month so uh that three point two percent was worth uh twenty four million pounds um a couple of years ago, but it will be uh worth a bit less than that now so uh, Darwall is sharing in the the pain in in that sense. But should we move on? I think we've uh, we've done uh, we've done the Darwall to death. And uh, thinking of uh, uh, investor reactions, actually, there was another uh, star fund manager, one who who can still um, claim that that uh, that that uh, label, although he doesn't use it himself, it can still be justly applied to him. Uh, for now, I think it's is Terry Smith. You had a, a scoop yesterday. Uh, you broke some uh, interesting news about uh, Terry Smith. It's got a lot of his uh, followers and investors uh, uh, chattering. What did you? Uh, what did you reveal?
1: Yes, yeah, so it's. Um, I found that um, the Fundsmith Long Short Fund and the Fundsmith Long Short Master Fund had both been registered in uh, with the Cayman Islands authorities, and uh, there had been filings made to the uh, Securities and Exchange Commission in in the US. Um, so, yeah, this looks like you know this is a move into shorting shares.
0: So Terry Smith is launching a hedge fund that can short shares. And that's a subject that he's been quite outspoken on in the past. He doesn't like short sellers. Am I right?
1: Yeah, and he doesn't he doesn't like any sort of kind of what he sees as unnecessary kind of complexity of any sort. You know, he's he's built his name, really, on this kind of, you know, this motto of buy good companies, don't overpay, do nothing. He sort of lends his investment pro- approach that, you know, it's been, you know, very successful. It's one of the... You know, best performing funds in the UK, but he presents his investment pro his, his investment approach as just you know a very kind of commonsensical approach to investing. You know, just buy good company.
0: It's a very down to earth approach, yep. isn't it? And uh, you know, it's it's backed by his years and uh, uh, his career uh, as an analyst. Um, so people really respect the uh, forensic sort of uh, approach that he has to sort of company accounts. And yet he combines that with a very straightforward and direct and you know a, a good communications style. Uh, he, he, and it's him, his authority, that's kind of on the line. That is what makes a staff a manager, isn't it? That's, it's that sense of their personal decisions and their personal communication and their personal relationship with investors. So Terry Smith has got that writ large at the moment. So has Nick Train. And uh, and obviously Neil Woodford did uh, in the past as well, until uh, until it went wrong last year. Alex Darwell isn't quite in that. You know, he gets called a star by manager largely because of his performance. You wouldn't know call him a star because of his, his communication qualities. And I'm talking not just about my grief with him over the the past week or so, but longer term. You know, he's quite a shy and retiring chap. It would seem a bit of a reclusive. Anyway, we've moved off from Darwall, but going back to Terry, I guess uh, there's some concern though isn't amongst the investors that uh, this hedge fund. Uh, I mean, is Terry going to be directly running it? Because it could be, a, you know, something to distract him from his core job of running Fundsmith Equity.
1: Yeah, I mean, the honest answer is we, we don't know. Um, you know, there wasn't any comment from Fundsmith uh, on this at all when I approached it. And so all I had to go on was, you know, the filings that were made. And, you know, the filings in the Cayman Islands just says, well, this, these funds were registered. The SEC filings, uh, it's called sort of a Form D, and it, it's basically what um non-US um uh groups can file to give them eligibility to market their um their product to uh what's called accredited US investors, which is basically sort of very wealthy US investors. Um so it just you know the details sort of the directors of the fund. You know, Terry Smith himself isn't isn't named in those. And so yeah we 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 just dunno whether he'll he'll be running it, whether it be kind of someone else, whether it's it is actually sort of a vehicle that's predominantly, um, you know, geared towards garnering kind of outside investment, or whether it's more, you know, about Terry's own personal wealth, and whether it just kind of sits in there and him or someone else runs it and picks out sort of bad stocks as, as, as well as as well as good ones.
0: It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because on the one hand, you know, if it if it is you know another another kind of natural development of uh, the fundsmith business you know they've got unit trusts got investment trusts now launching and it's another from a business point of view it's just another type of fund and tapping into a new sort of investor base you know that could be attractive but obviously that brings with as i said concerns that uh that terry might be overstretched of course he might get other people to run it like he has done with uh smithson well and, and uh Fundsmith emerging smith yeah markets. and that's you
1: know and you, yeah you mentioned fund smith emerging markets that's you know that was uh, that was his for a long time and i remember going to events where you know he would uh you know it's an event for the trust and he was saying well, you know my, my time is split half and half between the fund and the trust and this is before sort of, smithson came along and the, the fund is 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 huge the trust isn't uh and that always seemed a bit odd so I guess, yeah, that would be the concern with this is that is he going to be running it and how much time is it going to take?
0: Yeah. And also, I was wondering if he's not g- garnering uh, external investors, but it's more about managing his own wealth, which, which I th- think you said is a possibility, then uh, does that run uh, a reputational risk maybe further down the line? I mean, you know, Terry Smith, his business is, is, is based in uh, Mauritius. That's one uh, tax haven. And the Cayman Islands is obviously another. I mean, I'm not suggesting anything improper, of course, but uh, these are places with uh, low or zero uh, rates of tax. And um, presumably when you when, when you bring money out of these places and bring them onshore into the UK, then you have to pay tax. But, you know, uh, I just wondered, do you think there's a risk that this could uh, begin to crack uh, Terry's uh, reputation in the way that, uh, you know, it seems other staff and managers, you know, their reputations like Woodford's have just been uh, have been damaged. Um his is intact because of the um, strong performance of the funds. Is, is, that a, is that a factor, do you think, in the, in the, in some of the concern that's being expressed about this, admittedly, you know, not very detailed news at the moment? I think, uh, t-
1: you know, the the, the concerns are, are about performance. I don't think, you know, we the news about um, Mauritius has been out there for, um, you know, a, a few years now, um, as long as he's delivering returns for his investors, I, I, you know, that's... Look at the contrast between you know with 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 woodford for example when he launched his business and money was flowing in and uh initial returns were really good um the the, the dividends that he got from his business they were written about but people didn't really kick up uh, a fuss about them in, in the way that they obviously did once the fund was suspended um the fund had lost a lot of money and people weren't allowed to get their money out because they saw you know this manager's you know someone's getting their money out and Neil Woodford is able to get the money out of his his business. So I think these kind of things, you know, some people won't like it, but as long as performance is maintained, then it it doesn't sort of provoke the kind of outrage that, that you get when there isn't that performance. So I think and 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 judging by the comments on uh, on Funds Insider this week, it's uh you know the concern is is around the potential for this to distract um from his flagship vehicle that so many people are invested in so i think that's where that's where the focus of uh, of concern
0: is well, Dan, I think your story will probably prompt a, a little bit more uh, communication and, and maybe a statement from, uh, from Terry Smith himself at some point. Uh, I certainly would have appreciated that from uh, Alex darwell uh, on what we were talking about earlier on uh, in, in contrast. OK, well, I think um, that, that's probably uh, a, a enough uh, for now, isn't it? Shall we call it a day and get on with the rest of our, uh, rest yeah. Of our job? Uh, yeah, let's pleasure. do that. <laughs> let's, go, let's, go, let's go and write some stories. Dan, pleasure to talk. Hope to see you soon. Great. See you soon, Gavin.
1: Take care.